1: Good morning, Hope Elam. It is so good to see you here today. What a great day to worship God. For those of you that I haven't met before, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. Can we give God praise for our worship team one more time this morning? Praise God. Absolutely. It is a good day to worship. There is a, there's an energy, there's a spirit. God's spirit, His presence is here in the room today. I don't know if it's because you got an extra hour of sleep or you just really love Jesus. Probably one of the two. Uh, but we're really glad that you're here. And again, it is no accident that you are here. Whether you're online with us or here in the room, every day we have a great opportunity. Every weekend. We have an amazing opportunity to dive into God's word, but today uh, we have a special opportunity to hear from our senior pastor, Mike Householder, as you heard Pastor Brian mention in the opening video. If you didn't know, if you're new, which a lot of us here at Hope Elam are new, and that is awesome, uh, Hope Elam is one of the campuses of Lutheran Church of Hope, and so we are call ourselves one church in multiple locations, is that we're a part of a much bigger family than even what you just see here in the room as well, and today uh, we are going to hear, uh, we're going to go live here in a moment uh, to our West Des Moines campus to hear from Pastor Mike, and all of the campuses today are hearing that same message. Once in a while, a couple times a year, not all the time, normally Pastor Brian and I are up here on the stage, and uh, you'll want to join us again next week uh, for our anniversary, as you heard as Pastor Brian and I will be tag teaming the message next week and we're excited uh, about that. But today, once in a while... There are certain weekends where we feel like it's important for every one of our campuses, all over the metro and all over the Midwest, now in Nebraska and Missouri as well, to hear the same message at the same time. So it's a very important day to do that. Pastor Mike knows that he's speaking to you, and he loves what's going on here at Hope Elam as well. And I days like this, where I look around and I see the worship center filling up, and, and breakfast, and and the lobby, and what God is doing around here. It wasn't that long ago, about two and a half years ago, that. Myself and Pastor Hurst and Pastor Mike, who you're going to hear from today, walked through these hallways and it was empty and it needed some work. And we sat right down here in the front row uh, in the worship center and gazed out at the lovely red carpet uh, that was there at the time. And and, uh, everything was maybe a little, just needed a little uh, cosmetic upgrade around here a little bit and said, God, what do you want to do in this place? How do you want to bring these churches together? And we all felt that God is going to do a powerful work in this place and he has already begun that and he is doing that and you are a part of that. Amen. So praise God for what he's doing in this place. So it's going to be an awesome day as we continue to work through our series, the Ten Commandments, in nine Weeks. And so I want to encourage you just as you would if I was standing here on the stage, open up your Bible, or your Bible app uh, on your phone as well and follow along. We know uh, that there is certain topics that can be maybe a little bit more uh, sensitive that you might want to be aware of. And so today we're diving in as we continue to go through uh, the commandments as well to our sixth commandment um, of not committing adultery and talking about the gift of marriage, the gift of sex and those things as well. And we just want to acknowledge that for some of us, that's hard. That's hard. There's broken relationships. Every single one of you is a part of a different family situation. I just want to acknowledge that and I want to say to you this morning, God knows that. God created you. He knows you. He knows your heart. He knows what's on your mind this morning. And most importantly, he knows every single one of our stories, myself included. He knows the good times. He knows the bad times. He knows the hurt and the pain that maybe you have inflicted or that's been inflicted upon you in relationships. And so I just want you to know that. That God sees you and he knows you and there is grace upon grace for you today. But I believe that God has something in store for every single one of us today. If you would open up your heart, God's word is God's word no matter who it's coming from. Amen? And so we receive God's word this morning and get excited for what he's going to do in our lives. So if you would, before we go to the message, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. And I pray this morning that you would make our hearts soft and receptive. God, you are the potter and we are the clay. So would you mold us and shape us into the men and women that you're calling us to be, God, as your church. We claim that promise this morning that when your word goes forth that it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. So do a good work in our hearts today. Lord, even if some of these truths, even if your word is hard to hear, if it's convicting sometimes, God, we receive that. If it's challenging, we receive that. So make our hearts humble and receptive to your word this morning, God. You brought us here for a reason. So we receive that now. Jesus, we love you. We love you. Pray all of this in your holy and powerful name. Amen.
0: He seems a little upset, which is what adultery does to people. And he realizes, my whole life, my marriage is crumbling and falling apart. If you're married, I hope you've never had one of those dinners with your spouse where you order the creme brulee and she orders the divorce at the same time. But that's what happens to Cal and to Emily, too. And that doesn't just affect married people, and this sermon isn't just for married people either. This is for single people or any of us who know people who are going through this kind of hurt, this kind of trauma, really, this kind of grief, this kind of sorrow, this kind of suffering, because that's what adultery does. Hello to everybody uh, who's here. Good to see a full house uh, here in West Des Moines again. And hello to everybody who's watching at all of our campuses. All of our campuses are tuning in live this weekend because apparently none of the campus pastors want to preach on sex, and I get it, I understand, you know, I'm getting older, I've learned a few things along the way, Uh, but a special welcome to all of you, Ankeny, hello, Waukee, Grimes, hello, Uh, Ames, hello, and uh, to Hope Elam, too, especially to you guys, it's your second anniversary next week, so we praise God for that, and to all the local sites, uh, too, we're really glad that you're all here, thank you. So we're in this series of sermons called the Ten Commandments in Nine Weeks and we're up to that commandment, which I don't think I need you to I I don't think I need to persuade you. Because even people who aren't religious would say, yeah, I agree with that. You shouldn't commit adultery, it's hurtful. There aren't a whole lot of people walking around who would argue a pro-adultery stance. Like it's really good for everybody involved. Nobody gets hurt, it's awesome, uh, go, go down that road. Although there are certainly some who would, and there are temptations. There's exceptions to every rule. But the overwhelming majority would agree with God on this. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to convince you that adultery is bad, but I do want to point out to you some things that, well, that stand out. And, and the reason the hurt is so deep in that movie scene, uh, opening scene from Crazy Stupid Love, how deep the hurt goes. The big problem with adultery is it breaks trust. It just burns right through the chain of trust that a married couple have. And when that chain gets broken, there's some work to be done. There's some sadness. There's, there's some sorrow to walk through. But there's more problems with adultery. Number one on that more list is fantasy is not reality. I searched for the cheesiest comic strip picture of an adulterous affair that I could find. But this isn't real. His scarf is wrong too, but the whole thing, it, it's just, it just it, you can tell what kind of a person he is just by what he's wearing, right? Oh gosh, I hope nobody, no men are wearing scarves out there right now. But, but the problem is fantasy is not reality. An adulterous affair looks all the more tempting than it really is, because it's just, it's not real. It's, it's romance. It's, it's courting. It's, it's running off and doing whatever you want. It's, it's having these, 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 these mountaintop experiences together. It isn't reality. Reality is deciding who's going to unload the dishwasher today. Who's going to drive the kids to their next activity? Who's, who's going to take the garbage out? Who's going to, how are we going to pay the bills going through the stresses, going, going through the, the burdens, going through the ups and downs, going through the mundane, which is why in over 90% plus of cases of relationships that start as adulterous affairs, they fizzle out or they crash and they explode because as they move from fantasy, you can't be in fantasy land forever. As they move from fantasy to reality, they completely, well, they lose their, they, they lose this, whatever this was. They lose the fantasy. Number two, on the more problems list is way more than a few people get hurt. It's not just the person who got cheated on. It's everybody involved. And this movie does a good job of depicting that. It's the son. It's the daughter. It's the neighbors. It's, it's the other woman that Cal has a rebound revenge affair with. Everybody gets hurt. And the ripple effect goes out further and further. And it starts to affect extended families and relatives and neighbors and, and communities and churches. I'm not preaching this sermon about people outside of the church today alone, exclusively. This is about people inside the church too, inside our own church family. Because this affects all of us on one level or another. The third problem on this list with adultery is we miss out on the upside of faithfulness. When the bride and groom say, I do, once upon a time, the commitment's high, the smiles are easy, everyone's celebrating, there's lots of joy, as there should be. But I'm telling you there's even more joy down the road for people who do marriage God's way. For people who stay committed to it. When one month becomes one year and one year becomes two and two becomes five and five becomes ten and on and on it goes. My wife and I will be celebrating our 35th wedding anniversary in a couple of months and I praise God for her and for that. Yeah. That's awesome. But we do not have a perfect marriage. Neither do you. And it's not a competition. And the point of this sermon is not be like Sally and Mike and, and, and do it like we do. you got your own thing. You've got your own relationships. You've got your own ups and downs, struggles and challenges. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Sally's in a perfect marriage. Actually, I actually be the other way around. It would be, it would be me is pretty close to being in a perfect marriage. But there is no such thing. And we know that we have to work just as hard as any other couple because people change over time, seasons of life change and so you need to change, you need to keep checking in with each other, you need to to fall in love with each other in new ways but when you do, man it's a beautiful thing I still remember in fifth grade my grandparents my mom's parents would come visit us you know for Christmas and holidays and stuff and one day I'm sitting there, we're watching the love boat if you don't know what that is, you really missed out uh, so we're watching the love boat, and I'm I'm looking over, and there's Grandpa making a move on Grandma by holding her hand and then rubbing her knee. I'm like, oh gross! Oh my gosh! There's nothing worse for a fifth grade boy than to have to see Grandma, Grandpa, ninety-something year old Grandpa flirting with his wife of sixty-plus years. But now I look back on it fondly. It's a beautiful thing. Your, do you know your love could actually grow? That you could be stronger and more bonded when you're in this picture than when you're in that picture? It's an uphill climb. It's not easy. There's a lot of sacrifice, forgiveness, grace, hard work, but the view, man, when you do it God's way, woman, when you do it God's way, it's a beautiful thing. So what is the rest of the upside of faithfulness? There's a deeper bond, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapters, this bond that connects us together. There's fewer divorces. Jesus mentions that in his Sermon on the Mount, and that's why he speaks so strongly against adultery. There's better sex. I'm Scandinavian. I'm not going to spend any more time on that, (laughs) except to tell you that the science and the research backs me up on that. The people in this world who are having the best sex are the people who are married, and they're having it with each other. Not with other people. That's the best that it could possibly get because you have the commitment. You have the years. You have the, we go through the mundane, not just the fantasy land stuff. There's, I gotta move on. There's the higher view of God's love. You start to realize what the Bible says, that, that the relationship between Christ and his church, Christ is the groom, the Bible says, the church is the bride, is this faith that we're supposed to have. So marriage becomes an example of this greatest relationship that we have with God, we get a higher view of how powerful God's love is. We know that it endures forever. So the Bible would sum up marriage in this way in multiple different places. This is just tip of the iceberg passages that you can reference and look up if you want. Marriage is a holy covenant. It's holy, it's set apart by God. It isn't just a couple of people who fell in love and decide to, you know, tie the knot. It's a holy covenant between husband and wife established by God, who's the inventor of sex. And I put the inventor of sex in parentheses because that's where the Bible goes. Because it's important. And so I don't know how I can say it more bluntly or simply or put it more black and white than this. You must not commit adultery. This is the commandment because there's too much writing on it, there's too much upside you miss out when you do. There's too much downside that you fall into and drag a whole bunch of other people into. When when you break those vows, when you step out of your marriage, you must not commit adultery. So this is the point where a lot of people who have a um, self-righteous religious spirit say, amen. This is one of the best sermons I've heard in a long time. We're just putting it right out there. Jesus is going to mess you up on the next screen. Because he takes this commandment and he says, yeah, but it's you too. You have heard it said, Jesus says, the verse right before this, you shall not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I don't think it's taking liberties with the text to say that it could be a woman looking at a man or anybody looking at anybody with lust. You've committed adultery with that other person in your heart. Now the ground levels before the foot of the cross again, doesn't it? That's the thing about God's commandments. They grab us all. They challenge us all. They become a mirror in front of us all. There's way too much in the American church today of this religious spirit where we say, we've got it right. And people who commit adultery, they don't really belong with us. They don't belong in our holy huddle. They don't belong in our church. They shouldn't be sitting in the pew next to me or the row next to me or the chair next to me. No, we're going to have communion at the end of this sermon. Rightly so. Because we all need to get in line. Jesus makes that very clear. You don't just sin by your actions. You don't just sin by your words. Sure, the consequences on this, in this world can be greater if you actually sin physically and commit adultery more than an emotional affair. But still, even your thoughts can be sinful, Bible. Jesus says clearly in the Bible here. Anyone who even looks at a woman who has this lustful thought Jesus also encounters adultery later in John chapter 8 when the religious self-righteous people uh, drag a woman who's been caught in the sin of adultery to him because they're trying to trick him and test him because they have this narrow interpretation of their law that says you can stone to death a woman who commits adultery or a person who commits adultery. Never mind they didn't drag the man in. I'm pretty sure she didn't commit adultery with herself. But that's the misogynistic world that Jesus lived in, and it still exists on certain levels today, that's for sure. So the woman gets blamed and accused and shamed, and she's got her life now on the line, and the religious establishment of the day, the self-righteous ones, the ones who still to this day in our hearts want to say, yeah, hit them hard with this, when Jesus is clearly saying, I'm talking to you too. This is we, it's not us and them. It's all of us have some work to do on this one. All of us have some confessing to do. All of us are in need of God's amazing grace on this one. Still, the religious self-righteous people say, make sure you get to the last part of the story where you say, go and sin no more. Okay, there's the last part of the story. Go and sin no more. You're right. We should tell this part of the story. It's important. Why did Jesus tell the woman to go and sin no more? Because he loved her. And he knew that if she continued a pattern of adultery that she wouldn't be living a full and abundant life. She'd be hurting herself in some serious ways. She'd be hurting other people. She'd be hurting families. She'd be hurting communities. And he wanted better for her. So go and sin no more. Please note, he said this to her privately after the religious self-righteous people had left. He didn't preach this in a a name-the-name way. He didn't shame this person. He privately went to this person and said, Stop it. Don't do this anymore. Do you follow Jesus? Well, here's his example. What did he do publicly? He dismissed the self-righteous religious accusers. He says, if any of you have never sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone at her. And he knew he had them, and they knew he had them, and they had to drop their stones and walk away. Which begs the question, who sets your moral compass? The religious self-righteous world that's out there? Or the religious world that says anything goes, adultery's fine, as long as there's consenting adults, who cares anymore, there's really no boundaries? Or is there a more faithful middle? Is there a a clear call from God on these things that would lead us all to to not just better marriages and relationships, but, but better communities, better neighborhoods, better cities, better nations? Because the family would be uplifted? Who sets your moral compass? Who gets to be true north for you? Who gets to tell you which way you go when you face the daily dilemmas, the moral dilemmas, the ethical things, the, the stuff where you're not sure what you should do? Who do you turn to? Who becomes the source for you on the decisions you're going to make? Social opinion? Whatever Twitter is saying? Although that's rapidly changing. Did you get your check yet? Uh, your check mark? Apparently those are going to be sold now. Uh, honestly, do we care that much? Do we really need to check that much? I, I don't know. Is it a political worldview? Are you watching cable TV news or, 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 or scanning it on your phone over and over and, and say this is the biggest issue in the world today? That's important. As I said last week, we're going to vote here as a nation in a couple of days. I encourage you to do it. I can ter- encourage you Christians to participate. Let your voice be heard but you're going to let politicians set your moral compass? That's as deep as you go? Another human being? A flawed, fallible human being is going to tell you what's right and wrong as your absolute true north truth? Or is it your own personal philosophy? I just believe in myself. Or or somebody else's, a, a trusted family member, a trusted friend. Whatever they say, that's what goes for me too. I invite you to look deeper at your life. Find a better compass. Let number four become number one. It's not that these other three things shouldn't be consulted or they aren't important. It's just that number four should be way on top. The timeless truth of God's word. God's the one who invented marriage. Shouldn't we check with him on it? God's the one who invented the gift of sex. Shouldn't we check with him on it? What he had in mind? When he created it, instead of just saying, oh, it's a political issue. It's a social hot-button issue. It's, a, it, it's about whatever the trends are, whatever the latest survey says. It, it's about whatever I think. It's about whatever anybody else thinks. What about the one who created it? What about the one who created you with a plan for your life, for my life? What's your true north? Who gets to set your moral compass in this movie? Cal and Emily finally get to a point where they're starting to tell the truth. They're not all the way there, especially Cal, not all the way there, but he starts to come clean. And so does Emily. Emily admits and realizes that this fling she had with David, uh, whatever his name was, uh, Lil Hogan or something, played by Kevin Bacon, because there's always just a couple of degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon apparently, <laughs> that the fantasy's turning into reality and she's not really interested. That it wasn't what, you know, it wasn't as, it looked better in the brochure than in real life. And so as the affair evolves, she checks out. And she's ready to come clean with that. Cal is also ready to come clean with the fact that he got lazy as a husband. He stopped trying, he stopped putting his wife first in terms of human relationships. He let other things become more important to him. And when that happens, you start to sow the seeds that can lead to an affair. I want to be as clear as I can on this. It never excuses an affair. There's no excuse for an affair. If you have a spouse who isn't meeting your needs, you need to communicate. You need to get counseling. You need to work on it. It doesn't give you a free ticket to go out and do whatever you want and step out of your marriage because that other person is meeting your needs. Work on keeping the vows. That you made before God and with one another as husband and wife. So they start to come clean and they're at a parent teacher conference, like a lot of divorced couples. They're on their way toward divorce. They're picking up the shrapnel of, of the mess that this adulterous affair made. They're being very honest about it finally, starting to be. And this isn't just them, it's a lot of us. As I said earlier, it's our church family too. According to the stats, 60% of all spouses will take part in some form of infidelity at least once during their marriage. That's physical affairs, but it also includes emotional affairs, which can be very damaging. It's when you don't sleep with somebody else, but you give your heart to somebody outside of your marriage that only your spouse deserves. You have that bond with a coworker, with a friend, with a neighbor, with a former flame from back in junior high school. And you try to rekindle that or, or, or get something new going with somebody new and have that emotional bond. It's damaging. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt other people. It's going to hurt your marriage. It's going to hurt your family. 99% of Americans state that they expect their spouse to be faithful. <laughs> so there's a 99% expectation and there's a 40% like follow through. We have a problem. We have a problem with faithfulness we have a problem with keeping this commandment if we're going to be honest and it's the truth that sets us free and that truth starts to come out in a funny way at this parent-teacher conference and it gets even funnier at the very end I left this last few seconds in carefully edited by the way because the junior high teacher for their son Robbie turns out to be one of the women that Cal's having a revenge affair with much to everyone's surprise take a look (laughs) the next words out of his mouth were not the world Uh, he was pointing a little lower than that so how do we rebuild trust they're trying, they're starting to before they get the big shocker surprise as the door opens if this is you, if this is somebody you love if this is somebody you know single or married, maybe you know somebody in this place how do you rebuild trust after adultery? If you're betrayed, you have to go ahead and grieve. I, I would encourage you to go ahead and grieve. I want to take the have to out of that. But give yourself space to grieve. There's a death here. There's a death of trust, and it needs to be resurrected. Number two, give yourself a break. Again, you may have contributed to it. Cal comes clean on that. He says, I, I got lazy. I, I wasn't putting you first. I, I wasn't giving my all to this marriage. And that'll contribute, certainly, to, to a higher temptation for an affair, but it doesn't excuse it. So give yourself a break. It's not your fault. It's not your fault that this happened. Number three, skip over the revenge option. Skip over the I need to ruin your life option. I need to destroy your future option. I need to have you removed from, from, from everywhere and everything option. The Bible's clear on this says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You as human beings are really bad at it. The problem is you think you're really good at it. I've walked alongside of a lot of couples over the last 30 plus years as a pastor who are going through this, and a lot of times this revenge factor comes up. I want to get him back. I want to get her back. I want to show them who's boss. I want to show them. I I want them destroyed. They hurt me so much. I want to hurt them back because then that'll feel better. Even if you succeed... You will not feel better. Even if you destroy the other person's reputation, you ruin the other person, you will not feel better. It will not be soul satisfying. God has wired you up so that it just isn't possible. We've got to have grace. We've got to make some space for that. That doesn't mean you bless the sin. That doesn't mean you say it's A-OK, no problem at all. It doesn't mean you have to go back. Because number four is be patient. Be patient. Give give some room. But if there isn't room, if there's no movement, Jesus makes it really clear. You have grounds for divorce, and you can do it without sin. If you've been cheated upon, this is very clear in his Sermon on the Mount, that's the only grounds for divorce that rises to that level. You go ahead and let that marriage go, because it's actually the betrayer who broke the vows, not you. But notice Jesus doesn't say you must divorce. You have to dump this marriage. It has to be over. He's just giving an out, a just out for people who've been hurt and don't want to stay there anymore. But God's also a God of reconciliation and God of new life, God of resurrection, a God who brings things back from the dead. So just be patient. Maybe give it a little time, a little room. If you say, well, people can't change, do you know how faithless that sounds? I'm here to tell you, I've walked alongside so many couples, many of them I'm preaching to right now, who've been through this mess and have come out the other side stronger. And people change. God is a God of transformation. He can change people's hearts. It doesn't mean it happens every time. And it isn't because God isn't willing, it's because the person who could be receiving that change isn't willing and closes up his or her heart to the transformation that God intends and wills for that person that would actually bless them in enormous ways. But they push back on it, they close their hearts, they say, I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to go the world's way, I'm going to go the way that I think is the way that's better for me, I don't trust you enough, God, I don't believe in you enough, God, to think that your way should be the way that I go. So we get what we got. If you're the betrayer, end the other relationship, I can't emphasize this one enough, wipe the name off of your contact list, let the person know. I'm not going to call you anymore. Text. I'm not going to receive your texts. Block them. Say I'm not. It's over. It's done. You owe that to the vows you made to your spouse. End the relationship. You can't be friends anymore. It's over. It's done. Number two, sincerely apologize. Number three, be consistent. Number four, you be patient too. I've I've seen this happen so many times. When I'm counseling a couple and the one, the husband or the wife or whoever it might be, stands up and says, I've done one, two, and three. I ended the other relationship. It's over. I sincerely apologized. I'm telling the truth now. I'm not cutting corners. I'm not making up stories. I'm not telling lies. I've done all these things. We should be back together again, right? That's not your call. That's not your call. That's the one who's betrayed. They get to make that call. Now, the one who's betrayed doesn't get to turn this into a power play if you're going to go God's way. If you're going to go the world's way, they'll tell you, make it a power play. Show them. Make it hurt. But God's way is a way of grace and compassion and forgiveness. Be patient, though. You don't get to tell the other person when they need to get over it, when they need to be okay with it. And finally, together, find a good marriage counselor. Get support. We have a marriage retreat coming up here in our West Des Moines campus for all campuses next week. It's for all couples, married or not, and you're invited to come and and learn more about what God's plan is for relationships and for marriages. This isn't so much for the people who are struggling and working through an affair. You need professional marriage counseling for that. But this is for the people that I want to close with. And it's the people who want to do everything they can to make their marriage as a fair proof as possible. And to live up to and live out what the Bible says love is supposed to be something that endures through every circumstance, that holds on. So, how do you minimize the potential for adultery in a marriage? Number one, and most importantly, put God first. Here's my last stat and bar graph. If you can't read it because it's so far away, that's okay. Over on the left is people who come and worship at least once or twice a week at church. Over here on the right are the people who never do it. And this is the likelihood of an affair. All I can tell you is the more you go to church, the less likely there's going to be adultery in your marriage. Let me say it one more time. The more you go to church, the less likely there's going to be adultery in your marriage. And that matters because you are around God's word. You're being reminded of God's plan for you, for marriage, for relationships. You're also around other couples who are not perfect and they're not in perfect marriages, but they endure. So then that becomes the norm and that sets the example. Number two, after you put God first know that home is where your spouse is. The Bible couldn't be more clear on this. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother. This is as God establishes marriage in the book of Genesis. Jesus affirms it in Matthew 19. Paul affirms it in Ephesians 5. You have to leave home so that you can make a new home with your spouse. You have to let go of the past. And if you're a parent of adult kids who are married, let them be. Cheer for them and support them and encourage them and be for them, but don't you dare get in between them. Don't you dare become a wedge who starts gossiping about the in-law, about the other one, about how, how disappointing they are, how terrible they are. Leave home. Your home now is the person you're married to. Your family of origin, still essential, really important. Go back two weeks to the sermon on honor your father and mother. Still applies. You still need that relationship. But the most important human relationship, if you're married in your life, is the one you have with your spouse. Not the one you have with mommy, or with daddy, or with any brothers and sisters, or your hometown, or wherever you grew up. Break the cord. Move forward. Pour in. Give your best to the marriage. Make that your home. Number three, I love this one, continue to woo. Do you know what woo means? it's a really simple definition it means you win the other person's love you take actions and you say things and you exhibit behavior that wins the other person's love Woo! how you doing baby (laughs) I'm telling you she's gonna love that later I hope (laughs) cuz I know my wife and I know she kinda digs that I don't know why if she did that to me I'd melt cuz I'm Scandinavian but but woo! That's not the only way you woo your spouse, by the way. (laughs) Come on, men. Step it up a little bit. Women, too. You woo each other by meeting each other's emotional needs. I've preached on this multiple times. I'm just going to sum it up here. His needs and her needs, a, a book by a great marriage counselor named Dr. Willard Harley, a New York Times bestseller. He noted, he surveyed tens of thousands of couples and realized, almost always, these lists don't intersect. The worst thing I could do for her is try to meet her needs by doing the things for her that I want her to do for me. Instead of sitting down with her like we did again last night after the sermon, saying, I think we should probably practice what I preach and check in again, because, you know, relationships change. Seasons of life change. So we asked each other again, what are your needs? How can I serve you in this marriage? Here's the goal every day you get up if you're married. Hopefully you think about your marriage pretty early on (laughs) in the process of waking up. Instead of asking, what can my spouse give to me? Ask the question, what can I give to her, to him? How can I serve? How can I woo? How can I meet emotional needs? In order to do that, your results will vary. This is not your list and your spouse's list. But you need to find out what's on that list. What are the things that you could do to pursue your spouse because that's when the two become one otherwise marriage can quickly turn into a tug of war who's winning who's in charge who's got control who's got power who's the victor in all of our decisions that's not God's plan for marriage God's plan for marriage is this how can I pursue you more how can I woo you more how can I meet your emotional needs more This is marriage God's way. And finally, I've been waiting for this the whole sermon. Give your kids a break. And I mean this in two ways. Give them a break by giving them what they need more than anything else. And give them a break by not doting over every detail of their lives. That whole helicopter parent thing, not good for the kids. Let them breathe a little bit. Give them a break once in a while. But more than that, in your marriage, this is just... Researched over and over again the best thing what your kids really want from you as a parent more than anything else especially if they're young and at home is to know that mom and dad are in love to have the security that comes from knowing my parents love each other my parents are committed to this marriage my parents will endure my parents do not have a perfect marriage but they always hang in there they always work it out They always fall in love with each other again. They always woo each other. They always pursue each other. And when they do, it's a beautiful thing. Last clip. It's like 55 seconds long. But it makes the point. You'll hear the words. Cal and Emily are starting to reconcile. They're starting to get back together. They're starting to realize what they had and how valuable it was. And they're starting to reclaim their vows. And they're letting God change their hearts and transform them. They're rediscovering the joy of the marriage that they had once upon a time, and they're recommitting to it, to work at it. I don't want you just to hear their words, but look at their nonverbal. Look at the way they look at each other with such love. But even more than that, look at their son, Robbie, their junior high kid, Robbie, who sees them from a distance across the way. Look what it does to his heart. Give your kids a break. God loves you, Hope Elam. And he's for you.
1: And he forgives you. And his grace is for you this morning. And he is not only the creator of marriage, the creator of love, but he created you. And he wants what's best for us. And he's for your marriage, he's for your relationships. And sometimes that's weird. Sometimes it's weird to talk about that in church, but if we're not going to talk about it here, then where are we going to talk about it? Amen? We're called to love one another. For those of you that are married this morning, there is no perfect relationship out there. I want you to know that. We have a seven-year-old daughter, Evie, that about a week ago, Tiffany and I were going to go out on a date, and she's getting old enough now to where she's understanding this for the first time. And she's like, where are you guys going? Where, Where are you getting ready to go? And I said, we're going to go on a date. And she said, just the two of you? And I said, yes, just the two. And she said, well, she just couldn't get her head around. Why aren't we all going together? And I had to sit her down and explain to her, honey, there was a day that you weren't around You see, we're married and there was a time when you guys weren't here and mom and dad would spend more time together. We love you as well, but we had more time together and I had more hair and more energy and all of that. And mom and dad love each other so much. And she goes, are you guys going to (laughs) kiss? I said, yes, you better believe it. Kids need to know that you're in love. But I also understand this group like this there are so many different family situations there are so many different relationship situations and I love what Mike said this is for all of us and so I want you to hear this loud and clear today he sees you he knows your name and he knows your story and you may want that and say I I would love to go on a date I would love that I had that or I desire that or I'm not able to have that Right now, he sees you and he meets you where you're at and your value and your worth are not determined by your relationship status today. Amen? Amen. He wants you to know that. And his grace and his forgiveness is for all of us today. Whether that's been your situation or not, whether you've hurt others or you've been hurt, his grace is big enough for all of us. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we understand, Pastor Brian and I were talking this last week, these last three weeks have been heavy. We're talking about honoring your mother and father and the the pain and the brokenness. So many of you have come up and shared stories of you reconnecting with your parents, reconnecting with estranged children. It's been heavy. Last week we talked about anger and pain and bitterness and and how we can actually hurt people in our hearts, the way that we think about them, the way that we treat other people. And today, adultery, it's been a heavy few weeks, and we just want to name that and say that we are here for you. We have prayer partners. The prayer partners will be up here after the end of the service day. We have a prayer team. Reach out to us. We have a care team that would love to walk alongside of you. If, if you need a, a shoulder to cry on, if you need a, a listening ear, if you need references on good, solid, Christian faith-based counselors that are for you, that are for marriage, that believe in God's word, get a good counselor. My wife and I have been going to counseling. Us together. Yes, us for the last seven years. Why? Because you do regular maintenance on your car. Why not do it on the most important relationship and your life we're we're called to love and invest in that most important relationship we want to come alongside of you you don't have to do it alone that's why we're brothers and sisters in Christ that's why we need each other as the church and I love the fact that today we're closing the service with communion because boy do we need Jesus amen we need Jesus we need his presence this morning so wherever you are online or in the room let's stand together as we prepare our hearts for holy communion Communion is not for those who have it all together. (laughs) Communion is not just for those that have the real issues. Well, because as it turns out, that's all of us. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus was with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. And he took the bread and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. This is the extent of my love that I will give my life for you. My body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is my promise to you, that no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, my blood covers a multitude of sins, and you can have a fresh start in my grace today. We can come to God just as we are. We don't have to get all cleaned up on all these issues. We can just come to Him as we are, and that's why Jesus taught us how to pray by coming to God as Papa, as Daddy, as our good and loving Father that receives us just as we are and not as we should be. And if this is a hard message for you today, receive that love, receive that mercy, and that acceptance today as we pray our Lord's Prayer Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. While you're still standing, and I have your attention quick, just a couple details on communion. We want you to know that Holy Communion is open and available to everyone here today that knows that they need the love and the grace of a Savior. So when you come and get in line, you're getting in line with all of us, myself included, that are desperate for God's grace and for a Savior. And so at this time, as I give a few final instructions, I'll invite our communion assistants and our ushers. Forward today. What you're going to do is no matter where you are, if you're home, you can grab your elements if you're worshiping with us online. But as you come up, the ushers will guide you to where you go, either on this level or up in the balcony. There'll be stations up there as well. And then you'll receive the kit. We want you to know that there's the regular kits that are purple on top. There are also those separate kits that are gluten free available if you need those. And just ask your server for one of those as well. You'll be escorted by the ushers to your station and then you can receive the first layer. Take that off to receive the wafer and the second layer is the juice. You can receive the elements here. You can take it back to your seat and receive it and then we ask that you remain standing as you head back to your spot as the worship team will close us in worship today. All is ready. Come and receive God's grace.